Hello, church family and friends. I'm so glad you're joining us today for Riverstone at Home Worship. It's a very challenging time that we're in right now. I, I, all of us are wishing that we could get back to some sort of normalcy, but the reality is that it's just completely out of our control. But however, the wonderful thing is it's not out of God's control. And God is clearly up to something. We may not understand what it is right now. We don't understand what it is right now. But God was not caught off guard by what's going on this time of the year. I'm sure that it was a bit disappointment for many of you when you heard that Vacation Bible School would not be meeting here at the church this year in person. It was a big disappointment for me as well. I just, uh, sadly, there's just no way that we can gather together 300 kids and about over 100 adult workers all in one place this coming July. It's just not something that we would be able to pull off. About a month ago, our church staff came to the realization that it just wasn't going to be possible. And at that time, we were hit hard with a lot of disappointment. It seemed like one more thing was being taken away from us. But I kind of looked back at that period of time just a month ago, and I realized we went through what I'd have to call almost like a grieving process. At first, there was disappointment. But then the staff started to dream a little bit, especially our kids' ministries team. And we started dreaming about what God could do through Vacation Bible School, done a completely different way. Not here on this campus, but out in the homes of our church family. And the wonderful thing for us to remember is that the, the, the church is not this building. The church is where God's people are, no matter where we're scattered. And I want to encourage you, matter of fact, I want to exhort you to join with us in praying for an incredible work of God this summer as Vacation Bible School moves out of Riverstone Church facility and into all of the homes throughout this community of our people and online, and we will have no idea to know how many people have been impacted as they find the Vacation Bible School ministry of Riverstone Church online. So join with us in praying. It's at times like this, when God's people are going through difficult times, whether it's tra tragedies, whether it's natural disasters, times of war over the centuries, that God does amazing things that his people never even could have dreamed of. So I want to encourage us, instead of sitting back and being disappointed, that's sure, we're disappointed now, but just with all of our ministry as well, let's be praying that God will use it. He'll use this Vacation Bible School this summer in a great way as Riverstone Church goes out of the building and into homes. Would you join with me now in a word of prayer? And then we'll open up God's word as we study it together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have as a church family. Lord, we're not gathering together in person, but we're gathering together in spirit across this community. Father, we have people in other countries around the world who are part of this church family who are listening to this online. Where this is something that never would have been possible just decades ago. And here we are able to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, communicate the word of God, and connect remotely. Father, all of us long to be back together again. This is a distant second to being in person. Father, you designed and created the church. And the word church comes from the word ecclesia, which means a gathering. And Father, you designed us as human beings to gather together. You designed us to be in relationship with one another. But Father, first and foremost, you designed us to be in relationship with you. And I pray that Riverstone Church 
would grow as each person grows in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray too that you would help us, even though that we are scattered, to connect with one another. Father, I pray that we would continue growing not only in our relationship with you, but growing in relationship with our church family. Father, I pray for all of the families around the world right now, individuals around the world who are struggling, who are facing intense difficulties because of this virus. Where there are people that are grieving and we pray for your comfort upon them. We pray for the peace of Jesus Christ in the midst of a very difficult time. Father, we pray for the healing hand of God. Lord, you are a great healer and we do pray for your healing. And Father, I pray for encouragement for the saints around the world as we go through this very difficult time together. And Lord, I, I lift up this service to you. I pray that it would be pleasing to you. And Lord, I pray that as we open your word together today, that you would teach us, help us to know you better, help us to understand you better. And Father, help us to grow through this time in the word that we spend together today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, as we continue our series in the, in the book of Psalms, we'll be looking at Psalm 4. Now, Psalm 4 was written by King David. And a lot of people, many people associate Psalm 4 together with Psalm 3. The reason they do so is they refer to Psalm 3 as a morning psalm. And in Psalm chapter 3, David writes about waking and the Lord sustaining him. And then in Psalm 4, David writes, it's referred to what many people call the evening psalm. And in that evening psalm, David talks about lying down and sleeping in peace. Now, both of these, these psalms were written at a time of great distress for David. And we look back at David's life, we clearly see David had a difficult life. He faced so many tragedies and trials in his life. But what we saw with David was when he faces those trials, his faith was growing and he learned to put his trust in God. And we see that today in Psalm chapter 4. So there's mixed opinions about whether Psalm chapter 4 was written during the time of Absalom's rebellion. Now, you may remember that Absalom was a son of David, and Absalom led a rebellion against his father, the anointed king of Israel, King David, and Absalom just split the nation tragically. He just tore the nation apart in that rebellion, and it ended up costing Absalom his life as David maintained the kingdom. Now, that was a hard time for David, a tragic time for David, so many people think Psalm 4 was written then. Others think maybe it was written during a time of great famine that hit while David was the king of Israel. Now, it's hard to know which of these is really true. I don't think it really matters either way because the reality is no matter which is the case, it doesn't alter the message of either one of these psalms. And it's true that both of these psalms were written in a time of great, tri great trial a time when David was facing an incredible crisis and surrounded by suffering and disaster. So that's the context in which we look at Psalm 4 today. And I'd like to start by reading Psalm 4 in its entirety. It's really helpful for us to get a flow of the entire psalm as we read it right from the beginning right through to the end, all in one reading. So I'm going to read Psalm 4. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up and follow along as I read. But let's read Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? 
How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when the grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Now as we look back, I want to go back and, and begin looking in verse 1. And what we'll see in verse 1 was David cried out to God for three things in verse 1. He cried out to God, God, answer me. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So all in the context of the very first verse of this psalm, we see that David was crying out to God. Now remember I mentioned that this psalm was written at a time when David was under great distress. And what we see, and I believe this is showing that the, the, the faith of David was maturing and growing over time. I think trial after trial and tragedy after tragedy, David learned to cry out to God. And in the process, his faith was growing. And as we see here in Psalm 4, with whatever this was going on around him, as he was in great distress, the first thing that David did was he called out to God. But notice, as we look in verse 1, it says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Now, David here refers to him as God of my righteousness. This is really significant for us today. So I want to spend a little bit of time on what, why it was that David referred to God as the God of my righteousness. Now notice, David wasn't calling God righteous. He was basically saying here, crying out, saying that God, you are the source of my very own righteousness. So David's righteousness was coming from God himself. Notice for David, he had accomplished a lot of things by this time in his life. It wasn't his victory over Goliath. It wasn't as many battle, victories in battles. It wasn't his title as king that gave him his righteousness. But it was God himself. It's as if David here is crying out to God and saying, God, as judge, you have declared me righteous. Now we think about this, we're in a, a very difficult and stressful situation today with COVID-19 raging around us. We need God to rescue us. We're in a situation, just like David, with whatever it was, whether it was famine or whether it was a rebellion, David really had no control over the outcome. And here we are today facing something like COVID-19 that we have no control over. And I want to encourage us, because as we, as we look at our situation, it's collectively, as God's children, that our first response should be to call out to God. See, we can't heal the sick. God can. We can't protect our own health. God can. And at the same time, we can't end the coronavirus on our own. But God can. You see, as individual followers of Jesus Christ, you see, we may not be able to control the circumstances that we're in. But what we can do is what David did and call out to God, who is in control and who is sovereign over all things. See, we don't have the answers, but we need God. So now, 
as David cried out to God back here in Psalm 1, I want to ask, on what basis can we call out to God today? See, what gives us the right to do so? To help you understand where I'm going with this, let's travel back in time, over 3,000 years ago. Say we're an ancient, we're an Israelite in the camp, and this would have been during the Exodus, and the tabernacle would have been set up in place. And if an Israelite had at that time wanted to go to God and call out to God for a special need that he had, could that Israelite just get up, walk across the camp, go into the courtyard of the tabernacle, walk through the courtyard, walk into the tabernacle itself, walk up to the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the, other, from the outer courtyard, and push aside the veil, walk into the Holy of Holies, approach the mercy seat of God, and call out to God. Of course he couldn't have. We, what we saw in the Old Testament was anyone that approached God inappropriately or at the tabernacle who worshipped inappropriately, they were fried on the spot, a lot like a marshmallow that gets too close to the fire. And up they went in flame and smoke. You see, God is a holy God. And we're sinful people. And on our own righteousness, on our own standing, we cannot approach a holy God and cry out to him. So when I ask that question, our ability and our worthiness to call out to God at any time in our lives comes from just one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. See, our righteousness before God is not our own. Our righteous standing before God comes to us only because of Jesus Christ. I think a great way to think about it is as we stand before God, this holy God, knowing how sinful we are, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Picture it this way. Here, I'm standing here today, and I'm a sinful human being, and as I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm still a sinner. But imagine God now bringing and putting just a, a clothing over top of me, a robe right over top of my filthy sinfulness, and now I'm covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, as David approached God back then, we can approach God today. What happened when Jesus died on the cross at the crucifixion? The veil of the temple was torn in two. And it was showing us that we now had access to the Father through the Son. Because when he died on that cross, he opened the door for us. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can now stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And just as David in, chapter, in verse 1 here calls out, O God of my righteousness, we too as believers in Jesus Christ can say the very same thing. O God of my righteousness, because my righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. Now, not only that, but see God, not in this passage here do we see it, but God asks us to call out to him as Abba, Father. See, now when God uses that term, Abba, Father, what he's saying basically here is it's, it's a term that really means daddy, as if God wants us to come to him as his children and cry out, daddy, help me in my distress. It's an amazing thing that God has given us, a relationship with him that's based on that kind of intimacy. Where do kids tend to run when they're scared? Mommy and daddy, right? Now I know as you're watching this in your homes or wherever you're watching it from, some of you are watching it with kids. That, I, I love that aspect. That's one of the beautiful things of us actually having church in our homes. For many of you, your kids are watching. 
Now, I'm not naive enough to think that many of the four- and five-year-olds are, are just gathered around your screens watching Pastor Bob and choosing that over Paw Patrol or whatever else is out there. But you see, we do have some families coming together, watching this together. Some of you may be watching it alone, others watching it with your spouse, and some of you maybe have some grown children in the home and there's several adults watching together. But what I would like to do, I'd like to ask, pause the ask you to pause your screens for a moment and talk about something. I'd like you to ask, answer the question, what is it that you're afraid of right now? Moms and dads, help your kids answer that question as well. Now, maybe it's related to the coronavirus, maybe it's something completely unrelated. But, and, and, and moms and dads as well, remember, you don't have to be three to be afraid. You can be 93 and still be afraid. All of us are afraid of something. But we're going to come back to this at the end of the sermon. So what I'd like you to do right now is pause your screens and whoever you're watching with, answer that question together genuinely from your heart. Be sincere. What is it that you're afraid of today? So pause your screens and we'll come back in a moment. Well, welcome back. And remember to, um, that whatever that answer was to your question, hold on to that. Remember it because at the end of the message today, we're going to come back to that. But now I'd like to move on to um, verse 2. And as we look at verses 2 to 5, what we see is that in these three verses, actually in these four verses, David was addressing his enemies. Let me start by reading verse 2. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Now, if this psalm was written during Absalom's rebellion then these sons of men, or these enemies, technically that's what they are. David's talking about his enemies here when he says, O sons of men. These would have been, if this was during Absalom's rebellion, these would have been the prominent leaders and the officials who abandoned David and followed after Absalom during this rebellion. David said, How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Now, Absalom, David's son, he was young, he was charismatic, he was good-looking, and he promised the people a lot if they would follow him rather than continuing following King David. And people were lured away from David as they followed after Absalom, hoping to get whatever it was that Absalom had promised to give them. Now, isn't that what lures us away from Christ today as well? You see, back then, the people were lured away from the anointed king, King David, God's chosen king. They were lured away to follow Absalom. And here today, we are so easily lured away from following Jesus Christ to fill the inner longings in our hearts to following after false, deceptive things that the world offers to fill our hearts. You see, these false hopes and things that we follow after, they promise to give us so much. And just like David asked here in verse 2, when will we stop loving what is worthless? See, I, I, I know my nature, and I'm sure yours as well, all of us as fallen human beings, we follow after something, and maybe we, we outgrow that or we recognize how worthless it is, and rather than putting our hope in Jesus Christ and pursuing and following him, we find something else that the world offers and we start following after that. For some of us, we get locked in on one thing, and it overwhelms our lives, it controls our hearts, and we chase after that 
at the expense of following Jesus Christ fully as he wants us to follow him. Now, in Christian circles, we sometimes refer to these alternatives to Jesus as idols of the heart, or sometimes we say false gods. See, we all pursue these alternatives to Jesus every day, and they look different for each of us. I think we can look at these, these idols of the heart in two categories. First, we have idols that these are genuine idols, something that's never good as an alternative to God. And these would be a false religions. These would be things like humanism, secular humanism, naturalism, or any other religion other than the one that's following after the true God of the Bible in the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, we see that. That's one idol of the heart. That's one false God that we can follow after. The second category now is a little more deceptive. To identify the second category, we really have to look deep inside of our hearts. And the second category are things that generally can be very good things. But what we end up doing is we make them ultimate in our lives. It could be our spouse. It could be your children. It could be your career. It could be a number of things that God gives us that are good things. And when they're in the right order in our lives, we have here's God and here's those other good things. But what happens is we make them ultimate is we now reverse that order and we put them above God in our lives. And we see what happens is now our life is spent pursuing this alternative to Jesus Christ to fill the longings in our hearts and it moves us away from following Jesus Christ. And that's what we see David here. He's talking about how long, O oh man, will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? What alternative to Jesus is in your life that's distracting you from pursuing a deep and mature relationship with Jesus Christ? It's an important question for us to ask. I'm going to go back. I mentioned we have people of all ages watching online here today. I want to focus in on students. I'm sure we have a lot of students watching today. Students, maybe for you, it's academic achievement. Okay, for some of you, you've never struggled with that one. But for some, academic achievement is something that gets out of whack. Doing good in school is great if it's in the right priority, and here's God, and here's academic achievement. But if we reverse that order, and we start pursuing academic achievement to fill the inner longings in our hearts, getting A's in school now starts keeping you from finding fellowship with other believers in Jesus Christ. Maybe you never connect with the youth group. Maybe you never connect with other Christians at school in the form of a Bible study. Maybe you stop reading the Bible on your own. Your prayer life starts to go down because all of your time and energy is pursuing academic success. And all of a sudden, you find your identity in being known as being smart. Or maybe your identity is getting into that prestigious university. You see, that's putting something ahead of God, a false alternative to pursue, to fill the longings of our hearts. Maybe that wasn't a struggle for you. Maybe for you it's being accepted and fitting in at school. And now that becomes the, the false idol that you pursue after. And the friends you choose and the things you choose to do have less to do with what God desires for you than with what will make you feel more accepted. For others, maybe it's money. You see, sometimes money, well, money is a, it's a good thing in many ways. We need it. We need money to buy food. We need money to pay the rent, to pay the mortgage, whatever it may be. 
But when it gets out of priority, remember, here's God, here's money in the right priority. You see, when we flip it, money becomes an idol of our heart. You may have heard this quote before, but John Rockefeller was asked one day, um, years ago, about how much money he would need to be satisfied. And his answer was just one more dollar. Now think about that. One of the richest men in the world, and what he's saying is, for me to be satisfied, no matter how much I have, I'm going to pursue one more dollar. And what happened was he spent his whole life pursuing one more dollar. He gained an incredible wealth. But in the ultimate end, he was never satisfied. You see, these false gods can never truly satisfy us. Now, one way to look at if money becomes an idol of your heart, I think this coronavirus is showing us a lot of our false idols. What happens when your portfolio starts to look like what our portfolios look like today? And you see that your investments are dropping. You see, is that disappointing to you? Or is that devastating to you? You see, when it's out of priority, we feel helpless. But when God is in the right place in our priorities, we can cry out to him. And God will give us peace no matter what the circumstances are around us. I want to go on now. David continues addressing his enemies in verses 3 and 4. Let's read those again. Verse 3, But now that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself, the Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. I love David's confidence here in verse 3. He says here, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. He's referring to himself here. David's referring to himself as the godly man, knowing he was chosen by God as Israel's anointed king. God had set him apart for a purpose. David recognized that, and David says, the Lord hears when I call to him. You see, David has confidence in the Lord. This is like a statement of faith in, for David in his trust in God. He's saying, I know that the Lord hears when I call out to him. Now, in verse 4, David was giving some advice to his enemies. He tells them, he says, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. I want to give you a paraphrase to what David's saying here to his enemies. He's saying, you may think you are justified in your anger toward me, but be careful because you may be sinning in your anger. So what basically David was saying, if this happened during Absalom's rebellion, he's saying, you have rejected God's chosen king, but you've also let yourselves believe that you are in the right, and David, the anointed king of God, was in the wrong. You see here in their minds that they were twisting things around and believing they were in the right. And you see, David's now calling them out on this, and you know he mentions here, meditate upon your bed. You see, our beds are a place where we tend to do a lot of thinking and reflection. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. I think we would all agree with that. See, David challenged these people to take the time of quiet reflection upon their beds to realize that they were sinning against God and to repent. See, that's great advice for us today. When you lie down to sleep, when you wake up in the middle of the night, when you lie in bed in the morning before you get out of bed, take that time to reflect on God. Turn from sin and repent. That's what David was telling them. Reflect on this and turn and repent of your ways. See, I'm sure most of us would admit that our thoughts at such times are not always very glorifying to God. 
Maybe our thoughts are going to the idols that we're pursuing, the alternatives to Jesus Christ, and we're just thinking about how we can pursue them even deeper. Maybe our thoughts go into things like sexual sin. Maybe our thoughts are going into bitter, uh, turning into bitterness. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking in your bed about how somebody wronged you, and you start to rehearse it in your mind, and you've noticed when you rehearse it in your mind, your bitterness grows. And actually what ends up happening is the wrong committed against you tends to balloon in your mind and your heart starts to fill with bitterness. And what David's telling us here is a great thing for us to remember as well. That in our quiet moments, we should reflect upon Jesus Christ. We should turn from our sin and we should repent. It's great advice that David's giving us. Because what ends up happening is that when those thoughts that come to our minds in the most quiet moments are a reflection of what's going on inside of our hearts. So if we would do well to heed David's warning here. Let's keep moving along. And this is um, the last verse where David's talking to his enemies in verse 5. And he says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. You see, during Absalom's rebellion, what happened was King David had, he was living in Jerusalem and the temple was there in Jerusalem and it was the sacrificial system with the priests. And when the, the rebellion came, actually the majority of the people followed along with Absalom. And David had to flee out of Jerusalem and to leave the city. And when David was preparing to leave, the temple priests came to him and said that they wanted to go with David. And David told the priests, no, you need to stay here. You need to serve in the temple, carry out the Lord's instructions. This is where God needs you. So the temple priests stayed behind and David and the others fled. Absalom and his followers came in. They took over Jerusalem. So think about this. When worship, and that was a site of Israel's worship at the temple, when the worship was taking place, what ended up happening was, and actually I should rephrase that and say more of it in the tabernacle setup because this was right before Solomon's temple would have been built. But what we see taking place in Jerusalem where the main worship was there and these, the priests were taking care of the worship of Israel what happened was the people that were worshiping and bringing their sacrifices to the priests would have been Absalom's followers. Now, their hearts had turned away from the anointed king of Israel. They were not in a right relationship with God. And as they were bringing those sacrifices over to the priests, they were being sacrificed in a way that was totally not pleasing to God because the hearts of the people had been turned from God and were pursuing this false alternative to God's chosen king. And you see the sacrifices that were being offered, the worship that was being offered was not pleasing to God. So I think we can draw a parallel to the situation today. You see, we don't offer sacrifices today in our, in our worship. Thankfully, we don't, or this platform would be pretty messy right now. But you see, God calls on us to gather together, to come together corporately to worship Him. Now, if Riverstone Church is your church home, then you're part of our church family. And the, the, the church is a beautiful thing that God has placed on the earth for us to gather together and to worship him and to carry out the Christian faith. You see, God has brought all of us together with the gifts that he's given us so that church is not something that you go to to take from, but church is something that you go to to worship God and to give back to God by using the gifts that God has given you to strengthen the body of Jesus Christ. So that's what worship looks like today. 
Now, during this time of shutdown, I'd like to ask you a question. What does your connection to the body of Jesus Christ, your church home, Riverstone Church, look like? How well are you staying connected in relationship with others throughout the week? Are you connected to a small group? Are you connected to a Bible study? Is Sunday worship with whoever you are with, and maybe it's you're living by yourself, but is Sunday worship with your Riverstone Church family a priority for you? See, I've heard from people that have said that they're not watching the Riverstone services. Now, some people have said to me, but, you know, but Pastor Bob, it's all right. I'm catching up with John Piper or Tim Keller or David Jeremiah during the week. You know, my response to that is, that's awesome. Keep doing it. I want to encourage you to do that, but not at the expense of your own church family. You see, I've heard people say as well, they say, well, but it's not really church. It's just on a screen. Now, that's true, but let me just say this. You see, we're in a place and a time where we can't gather together as a church family. So watching it on screens at home is like the next best alternative. I'd have to confess, it's a distant second. I can't wait till we're in this room and we can hug each other. I can give you guys a hug. We can greet. We can talk. We can sit down and have a cup of coffee. We can read the word together. I can sing together. It'll be wonderful. But right now, watching on the screens is the next best alternative that we have. You see, I, I guarantee you, there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that live under persecution. Think of the underground church in China and some parts of the Middle East, that if they could turn on their TVs, turn on their laptops, turn on their, their iPads, whatever v device they have, and they could gather around and be part of the corporate worship of Riverstone Church, they would long for such an opportunity. And folks, because of technology, we can do that. You see, I love it on Sunday mornings. It, it's so encouraging to me. Janet and I, we're, we're alone right now during this shutdown time, and we get together in our sunroom. We turn that on, and we have the opportunity to watch Benjamin and Tom when he's preaching, our worship team, and whoever else is in the service right there in our home. And it's our church family coming into our home. You know, I, I have to say, I love how Benjamin's personality is shining through each Sunday. You see, he's kind of coming into his own. I said at the staff meeting last week, I was laughing, I teased him, and I said, you know, Benjamin's kind of becoming the Dr. Fauci of Riverstone Church. You see, when you turn on, you see Benjamin, and he's becoming the face of Riverstone during the coronavirus. I love how he's just pouring himself into keeping us connected and bringing worship into our homes. Not just in the singing part, but just his sharing and his transitions in the services and his creativity. But folks, I want to encourage you to stay connected to the church body through this time. You see, David here was giving warnings to the people that their worship was not pleasing to God because their hearts were not in the right place. Let's go back to our text, and I want to read verses 6 and 7. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when the grain and new wine abound. Now, it starts off here in verse 6, and it says, Many are saying, who will show us any good? Well, it's hard to know who the many is referring to here, but clearly they were looking for something good and not finding it. 
Who will show us any good? Things all around were bleak. It was a terrible time. It was a distressing time. You know, had they had TVs or internet or laptops, I think all of the news that would have been coming across was continually bad. Sound familiar? I am sure that all of us today, all of you listening in your homes today, are longing for some good news. I'm sure David, at this point in time in his life, was longing for good news himself. However, some allowed that bad news to consume them. And that's what David's pointing out here. But not David. You see, the circumstances were the same for David. I think they were really bad. But what see, David did was he turned to God and he prayed. I love what he says here. He says, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. If you're looking at your Bibles, that ends with an exclamation point. See, David said, man, things are really bad. Lord, would you lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. Notice that David knew where his hope was. He cried out to God. He knew that God answers and listens to his prayers. And when things were all bad, turning just all around him, what did David do? He turned to God and he trusted in him. Same thing we saw back in verse 1. And look at, the, look at the result we see in verse 7. David says, you have put gladness in my heart. Now, if this happened to have been written during a time of famine, we can see in um, the second part of verse 7, he says, gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. You see, trust me, if David were alive, alive today, he'd be experiencing the same feelings that we're experiencing, being shut in, seeing the sickness all around us, turning on the news, it consistently being bad, having a longing for things to go back to normal. You see, the circumstances would remain the same. But David would have looked to God for his strength. He would have turned those around him to God, to look to God for their strength as well. Folks, right now, the church, the world needs the church right now in such an important way. See, the church, the world always needs the church. But right now, people are scared, they're angry, and they're incredibly self-centered. You see, our neighbors, our nation, and the world need the hope of the gospel. And we, each one of us who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, need to be sharing the gospel with all those we come into contact with. See, this is a time for the church to light up and display the glory of Jesus Christ and offer hope to the world around us. Now, as verse 8 closes up here, let me read verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. I already mentioned that our beds are where we tend to reflect and think. For me personally, I know when I'm under a lot of stress, I tend to fall asleep quickly at night. But then around 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and my mind starts racing with the things that are consuming my thoughts and that I'm anxious about. And that just feeling of anxiousness starts to grow at those hours of the morning. And sleep tends to be elusive at that time. For David, the physical danger and the threatening times didn't come to an end. But because of his faith in God, David says in verse 8, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. You see, David was able to have the peace of God in his heart and sleep no matter what else was going on around him. His faith had grown. 
It reminds me of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament when he says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. He's not looking for the circumstances to change before he finds his contentment. But you see, he finds peace in God in the midst of whatever was going on around him. Folks, it's not the lock on your door. It's not the German shepherd in your house. It's not the gun in your closet or the investments in your portfolio that can give you this kind of peace. Why don't, why don't kids want mom or dad to leave their rooms at night? You see, if you ever hear those kids, it's because mom and dad bring security. And kids may say, don't go until I fall asleep. You see, they want mom and dad there until they're asleep. And then it's okay because they know that they'll be asleep and it's okay for mom and dad to leave. But you see, God says to his children, and that's us adults now too, he says, I won't go even after you've fallen asleep. See, that's the kind of peace that God wants to give us. And even though there's war or famine or disease outside, you can have peace because of Jesus Christ inside. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, we can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. See, that's the only true peace that really matters. Earlier, I asked if you would share what, is, what it is right now that makes you afraid. I want to come back to that right now because what I'd like to do is close by just reading off some applications that you can apply to your situation. First, these are right out of Psalm 4. Turn to God and ask him to hear your prayer and pray. Just like David cried out, answer me and hear my prayer. So cry out to God. Secondly, look inside your heart for what you've been cherishing and pursuing other than Jesus Christ to fulfill your longings. Recognize how fleeting those things are, how hopeless those things are, and let go of them. And then fill your heart and your mind with Jesus Christ. Third, in your quiet moments, talked about lying on our beds, reflect on Christ and his word rather than the, your own longings or fears. And learn to trust in God and let, and let go of those anxious thoughts. We saw that, G, that David learned to do that as he lied down in peace at night. Now next, connect with your church family and make worship and fellowship during this shutdown a priority. See, folks, if you want to draw close to God, you need to be pursuing God. And we do that through worshiping him. And finally, be confident and sleep well, knowing that the Lord cares for you, just as David did. And now, as we close our service, I want to turn it back over to Benjamin, as we close by worshiping God as we sing together, even though we're doing it remotely. Let's sing to the Lord in worship. Mm -hmm. 